0: Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha.
1: I'm Jordan Crook.
0: And we are joined today by John Shebert. John, thanks for being with us again.
2: Thanks so much for having me back, Anthony.
0: And we're uh, rather scattered today. Uh, Jordan is, I think, in Texas, and John, I mean, he's in L.A. where he normally is, but he's, he's in a cafe somewhere.
2: I am, so if you hear the background noise or the dulcet tones of clinking glasses, that's because I just got out of a meeting.
1: (laughs) And I'm in my mom's office, so if I don't sound as professional as I normally do, that's just because I'm on a shitty little rinky-dink mic.
0: Well, I think you both sound perfectly fine, Um, and I'm excited to be here to talk about this movie, High Flying Bird, uh, which is a Netflix film directed by Steven Soderbergh. And it's shot on an iPhone. And um, let's—I guess maybe the one place to start is: Do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about each of your, like, to what extent were you Soderbergh fans? Were are you guys NBA
1: fans? I used to be when I was a kid. Like, I knew—I knew so much. I was such a basketball kid when I was little, and I went to all the basketball camps and stuff. And we went to. NBA games as a family and I was I knew like everyone the entire Chicago Bulls roster and the entire Utah Jazz roster because like for three years in a row in the 90s they went head to head in the championship finals and so I was like obsessed with them but I haven't really cared about the NBA in a long time and Steven Soderbergh is a name that I've heard many many times and I'm familiar with but I wouldn't be able to tell you much about him so I was kind of coming (laughs) in I was coming in like half and half, you know, like I know a little bit, but not
2: much. I'm a, I'm a Steven Soderbergh, not super fan, but I really love what he's done. He's also sort of a Baton Rouge native, which I love coming from my hometown. Um, And I followed LSU basketball as a kid for a while when we had Shaquille O'Neal and all that stuff. So college basketball fan, not so much in a pro ball and really love Soderbergh.
1: Hooray! Well, and there's a thing too, is that like, you know, not to like, this isn't even a spoiler, but like this game, this movie is not like, do you understand the NBA or like, have you watched professional I, basketball? Like it has nothing to do with that. It's like far more like a sports agent. Like it's very insider baseball, <laughs> insider basketball, so to speak, Um, with with kind of the plot line. A lot of things are happening that I don't think the average person is like fully aware of all of the intricacies of the the contracts and the representation and all of the stuff that goes into you know these players in the NBA. Well that's a fair point and I guess
0: part of the reason I brought that up was because I mean I liked the movie a lot but I also felt like there were definitely scenes where I didn't understand what was going on um and in fact like at one point I had to just turn on the subtitles because I was convinced that I was missing important dialogue, even though it wasn't that hard to hear. It was just, I was getting kind of confused about like what the power dynamics or whatever in a scene were. And I assumed some of that was because I, you know, also had watched a fair amount of NBA games when I was a kid, but have not for like 15, 20 years. Um, But it sounds like maybe that was just sort of part of the effect of the, the movie, regardless of how much you know about basketball.
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of one of those situations. So just for our listeners who are completely have no idea what we're talking about, just a brief spoiler free kind of explanation of the movie is that it centers around um, a a sports agent who represents basketball players um, and a rookie basketball player, a couple rookie basketball players, as well as Um, The representatives from the Players Association, as well as the NBA. And it's the negotiation of a a lockout and kind of how rookie players maybe are affected by an NBA lockout or these things more. And then the broader themes of kind of how the NBA in some ways reflects the same system that was in place around slavery, you know, 150 years ago. So uh, that's just a brief explainer. But but re the context bit that we're talking about, it felt a lot like Soderbergh and whoever else made this film were just like, fuck context. Let's just start where we start (laughs) and where we end. And like, you'll get it if you get it. And if you don't, then you'll at least get the most important part, I think, right? Like, even if you don't get the intricacies of these contracts and how it's all working back and forth and the conversations seem really insider baseball, and there's no exposition there. There's no one there to say like, oh, so that means that this is going to happen. Like there is none of that, that there's no, there's no cushion for you if you want to understand what they're talking about. But the broader themes are clear. And I think he was like, I don't care if they get that bit. I just care if they get this, this more important bit, you know?
0: Yeah, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of watching this movie Margin Call, which was about the financial crisis of, in 2008, um, and I think there are probably some movies, other movies about like Hollywood and about politics that kind of have a similar like inside baseball feel like you're talking about where you just accept that there are going to be large stretches of dialogue that you just are like, man, I sort of get, I understand kind of what you want in each of these scenes, but I don't necessarily understand the details of what you're talking about. And I think for the most part, I was okay with that. But I think there were times where it felt like, especially because part of the mystery of the or the plot of the film is, is the question about this agent played by um, Andre Holland and to what extent he's sort of planning all this stuff ahead of time. Does he know what's going on? What are his motivations? And so I think there are scenes where I could tell that people were wondering what he was thinking, but I also was like sort of confused on like a basic plot level. So it was like multiple levels of kind of
1: like twists that, that I had a little bit of a hard time with and i think that was done purposefully to be honest because by the end all of those it's kind of like you know the same kind of thing happens in shows like um game of, game of thrones even are like big little lies stuff like that where you kind of feel like maybe someone's getting duped like it's 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 it wants you to think it wants you to not quite know what's going on because it promises it'll tell you later a little bit and with that particular character um ray the agent you know the the movie doesn't let doesn't let you in on it until really the end he seems like he's in control of the whole situation he also seems like he's getting hit in the face and doesn't expect it (laughs) over and over again so it's like which is it bro bro like are you are you the mastermind are you the puppeteer or are you the puppet um and you don't really find out until the end, which I think was done pretty well. There were a couple like format things that bugged me a little bit. Um, like it starts like a documentary and an interview. Um, right. and then at the end, there is a bit where it says, okay, 48 hours earlier, 24 hours earlier, and I was like, you didn't do this the whole movie long. This is a weird little thing to add in the last fifteen minutes. Do you know what I mean? Of being <laughs> like, "Oh, now we're gonna go back in time. Let's start that over." You know, it's like, "Wait, we we weren't using this mechanism before, and now we are." So there were a couple things like that that kind of bugged me, and I didn't know how necessary they were. But um, overall, I liked it. And it's also worth noting, guys, that I watched this on my phone, on my iPhone. Oh wow! Okay, um, that, it was shot I, mean, I guess on the that seems appropriate. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't necessarily do it because it was shot on the iPhone. I did it because I was about to get on a plane and you can't download Netflix movies to your laptop. So um, the phone was the option and that was the only time I had to watch it. So I watched it while I was on the plane on my iPhone. And it did kind of like realize the the fact that it was shot on an iPhone in a way because there were certain like beautiful panning shots Um of Manhattan that perfectly focused on his face and also the the different colors in the background and I just kind of had a moment where I was like "Uh, I wouldn't look like that if I did it you know (laughs) Uh, it would be a little washed out if I did it but okay Uh, which I was really you know I I, it, it really like like I said it kind of like crystallized the fact that they're one that the iPhone's capable of this but more so that you know Soderbergh is an artist and um, did a really good job with the with the
2: iPhone. So, I mean, for that alone, it's it's worth seeing the movie to see what kind of 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 things technical marvels like Soderbergh can ring out of shooting on an iPhone. It didn't seem limited at all. It <clears throat> it was beautifully shot, and I mean, it 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 looked really gorgeous, actually, um, which was surprising. I and I, you know, I I mean, some of that is him setting it up as, as sort of a chamber piece, right? Where everything is happening. Most of the action is happening in rooms and confined spaces where you don't really in cars where, and, and, and it's very dialogue heavy. So it's not like you're putting that much uh, stress on the, the iPhone's technical ability to move around and capture, um, capture action or like big sweeping sequences. It's not going to do like a David lean kind of thing. Uh, but but it worked really really well really well i was super impressed
1: it almost felt like he wanted you to know it was shot on an iphone like certain there was one scene where there was a conversation between two people i think it was early on and uh the conversation went from i mean you think of a movie and watching a conversation happen between two people and you know the exact shot there's the shot over the shoulder of person one that's that's looking Mm -hmm. at person two and there's the shot over over the shoulder of person two that's looking at person one and um there wasn't much of that there was one shot there was you know a single shot that a wide shot that covered both of them talking or there were instances where the phone or the camera was placed directly in front of the person, almost like a facetime call you know um and then directly in front of the face of the other person and they were weird little techniques that you don't often see that I think were slightly Soderbergh being like, "Yup, iPhone, iPhone kids. This is on an iPhone. Don't forget, you know, like <laughs> it felt purposeful. Like don't forget this part guys. There was also this sort
0: of weird kind of like fisheye effect sometimes when I think he was mm-hmm. kind of trying to do like a person in the foreground and then sort of either panning or just capturing sort of a, a a lot in the background it it wouldn't sort of it's sort of hard to describe but it's the way it looks doesn't look the way you it would with a sort of traditionally shot um film and so I was aware of it but I agree that like for the most part I was you know if I had not um if I had not known that it was shot on an iPhone I probably would have said oh like they must have done some weird filming techniques a couple things that don't um you know, that, that, that don't look like a normal film, but I would never have guessed that it was shot on a phone. Like I, like there in my mind, when, when you say that, it, I think of this very kind of like grainy handheld look, and this doesn't look like that at all. It, it's, it, it looks like, I mean, like it's, you know, relatively small and, and John, like you were saying kind of character and dialogue driven as opposed to action driven f- film, but it's still like really beautiful. And, and I think Jordan, the scenes that you're talking about, I think also like the fact that they don't look, like traditional scenes just gives them this kind of slightly unsettling feeling, which I think also contributes to what I was talking about earlier, where I'm kind of, um, you know, just kind of being like, what is happening here? I feel like there's like a subtext and tension and all this stuff. And, and I'm not getting it all of it, I'm like, I'm into to the it. I'm into a
1: confusion. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely like contributes to the, to the moments where you're feeling most lost in the dialogue, like you don't understand what at all they're talking about, are the moments where he gets even weirder with the camera. And you're like, wait, <laughs> now I definitely don't know what's going on. You know, like it was, um, I think that definitely like amplified some of that fuck the context bit you know um but i do i agree with you and to what john said there was no heavy action in it and there was one scene where it looks like they're about to play some basketball and i thought (laughs) oh wow we're gonna see we're actually gonna see people play basketball in this movie about basketball i'm so excited and then it just cuts to the next scene and i was like jesus come on
2: well yeah no i'm sorry i was just gonna say that um it, it it you know he is an amazing, Soderbergh as a director is an amazing student of film. And this isn't sort of necessarily uh, <clears throat> germane to what we're talking about, but it's, it's pretty awesome. I, and I encourage everyone, if they haven't seen it, to check out the black and white uh, version of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark that Soderbergh like, uh, did for his own website, extension 765. It's, um, it's set to the soundtrack of, uh, of the Facebook movie. Uh, and, and (laughs) and it's, it's really, it's incredible. It's like, it's an amazing thing to see. And you, he sort of by decontextualizing it focuses on the framing that, that Spielberg does in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he's like, I have studied that movie over and over and over again. Um, and and it's an incredible little piece of cinema that just shows you what a student of movie making, like Soderbergh is himself. Um and there are so many like little interesting conscious choices that he made, like not showing basketball in the movie. And I think part of that it was due to the restrictions that the iPhone placed on things. Like it's really hard to shoot like action sequence like that, I would imagine, with an iPhone. But it's also like getting back to, to the thematic significance of the movie, like uh, he's talking about the game above the game, right? Which is all of the machinations and dealing and money-making that goes into to the, the sport itself. Um, and there were lots of really amazing sort of uh, nods that he gives to, to the problematic nature of, of how athletes are treated in sports. Um, and specifically as it relates to race in america hi Randall that's me i'm I'm gonna be go quiet now
0: well you I think you brought it back um to the uh i think what we were talking about in terms of um the treatment like you said like the 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 film like how the film talks about um athletes almost as as labor which i mean he's also talked about in some of the interviews ar- around the film and um and Jordan, I mean, earlier you were talking about like sort of that comparison with with slavery, which we should say is something that is actually made in the film. It's not something. That yeah, I should... didn't
1: say that. I, that's <laughs> something that is that is directly addressed in the film. So I'm not just saying right. that the NBA is a is a reflection of slavery from my own heart. Although the movie did enlighten me a bit. Um, on right. That bit, so
0: what? But what? One thing I thought was interesting about the movie was because it 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 doesn't because it it focuses on a fairly narrow slice of time and is mostly focused on this agent. Although we see a bit of the players lives as well is that it feels like a little bit removed and a little bit intellectual in the sense of like you, you have a lot of people talking about exploitation as opposed to necessarily seeing it illustrated. And, and so, I mean, it's not that I like, didn't like that, or or felt like it fell flat. But in terms of having a sort of visceral, because I think just lis- reading some of the reviews afterwards and people talking about this film as as like a labor film, as a film about exploitation, it felt like oh, I, I I agree that that's what it's about, but it it didn't completely hit me in that way because it was so many scenes of people talking about it as opposed to uh, living it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, did you did that? Did it feel like this like real? I think like. Did either of you feel like it came across as this very like sharply political movie?
1: No, I think that like what was interesting about it and what was good about it is that like it's almost like through that whole through all of the missing context because I think you you start the movie and you see it opens it opens actually on a on a documentary style interview and then it goes into a conversation between an agent and a rookie basketball player in the NBA. And that conversation is incredibly confusing because you have no context whatsoever and you don't know that they're in a lockout. Even it kind of starts to get to that point. You explain that and you're a little bit lost and you want, I think your initial, at least for me, my initial kind of reaction to that was to want to understand the plot of that. I want to know what's going on with this kid, what's going on with this agent, what's going on with the lockout. And by kind of shirking his responsibility to explain that bit, you can't help but start focusing on I think what was the point of the film but it's mixed in so well with this kind of confusing plot around the actual basketball bit of it that it doesn't feel like you're getting hammered in the face with this political message it just is woven in throughout um which I think makes it. More well, I mean, they powerful, do make I mean, it pretty explicit
2: you know? at the end of the movie what it's about when he opens the gift that, that was given to him by the the, the rookie player opens the gift yeah. that was given to him by the agent in the opening scene, and the agent referred to the book as sort of a Bible, right?
1: A Bible, and, and so <laughs> yeah, in the closing
2: sequence, you know, when when it's revealed that the, the book is the Revolt of the Black Athlete it's um i mean that that's pretty explicit i don't think it gets much more explicit than that
1: i guess what i'm saying is that the whole movie didn't center around like people talking about it was it was woven in in a way that didn't feel like that was the whole that was the whole movie do you know what i mean like i was still always intrigued by whether or not eric was gonna beat um what what was the other basketball player's name and you know whether or not Ray would keep his job and whether or not, you know, was the agency going to go under, is the lockdown going to end. I was still asking myself those questions throughout the movie as opposed to just focusing solely on this this overarching theme. And yes, it hit it home at the end, but it didn't feel like the movie was all about politics necessarily.
0: So I, I do want to get a little bit more into that ending. Um, so we should, <laughs> I think probably if you're listening and you haven't seen the movie already, you've probably figured out that we're kind of getting into spoilers territory. So let's just say, officially, we are now moving into spoiler territory. Um, I don't think we've given away anything big yet, but now that's sort of uh, free reign. You know, um, people can, we can talk about whatever we want. So stop listening if you don't want to get spoiled for the movie. Um, but Doesn't yeah, I feel I bet, like
1: the kind of movie you can spoil really. To be honest, uh, like, even if I told you the whole plot of the movie, I still feel like it would be worth watching. I think if it you might know what have I mean? been actually
0: like, better for me. But I think part of it was because I, the reason I say that is, and this goes back to also what you were talking about with the, you know, the jump back in time um, where it's like forty-eight hours ago, twenty-four hours ago, is I think in some ways it felt like it was in so, like in some ways mirroring kind of. The, the structure of a movie like Ocean's Eleven, where you've got these very smart heroes, protagonists, who are kind of one step ahead of everyone else. And then at the end, you see the twist is how far ahead of everyone else they were and how smart the plan was. And it seemed like that was kind of what the movie was going for, but also that his plan is exactly what you thought it, it I mean, most to a large extent, what, what you thought it was. It's not like what's revealed at the end. You're like, well, oh yeah, that's kind of what I figured he was going for. All right, sure. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. And so in that sense, it was like, fine, but a little disappointing.
2: I liked everything about it, about this movie. I I think the fact that um, they pushed up to the limit of, of sort of the idea of creating an alternative league that would be more player run um, or, or more directly engaged with fans Based on sort of technology platforms like either Hulu or Netflix or whatever else it might have been, was really interesting to sort of bring that in as a dynamic, and and it was pretty savvy to realize that these are the the kinds of things that could potentially happen in in the business these days. But I think it was also pretty clear-eyed in its realization that the world isn't there yet for uh, that kind of of usurpation of control or or. The, the, the creation of a new league that would be sort of player-generated and player-led. You aren't kind of seeing this happen, actually, with things like Ice Cube's three-on-three uh, three league, which I think is an attempt to, to get at that. Um, uh, but but it's, it's not there, right? I mean, there's, there's still all of this entrenched power in the NBA. There were so many things that this movie touched on that were interesting that I kind of want to bring up as well, because it's, it's not just about the power dynamics of, of owners and, and players in the NBA, but it's also about like sexuality to a large degree. Um, and the ways that athletes are, are forced to sort of perform, a um, a, uh, as, as a character rather than as their real selves. Um, in, in that, the backstory with the agent and his cousin who was his first client and, and how, that discussion about whether or not mm-hmm. to, for, for his client, this basketball player, to come out as gay um, was an interesting, uh, interesting sort of nuance to things, but I almost wonder if they gave it short shrift, right? If they, they, they sort of threw that in there because they're trying to throw all of these issues that are wrapped up in sport and, and sort of notions of masculinity and political agency and identity... But they didn't get all the way there with a couple of those themes.
1: Yeah, I was trying to figure out whether or not, because they never, correct me if I'm wrong, but they never explained how his cousin died. That is what
0: I remember, too, is that they, it's sort of, you know, he he did die, and that there was sort of a, some tension around his sexuality, but but you don't really know a lot of the details.
1: It's kind of implied, maybe, that it could have been suicide, but they never really... Um, confirm that, right? Did yep, you guys get yep. that same vibe? That was my feeling. Um, and I, I, I somewhat agree with you, John, but I also disagree with you. Like it felt like they brought that in and almost purposefully didn't continue on that thread, so as to weave it into the picture of what what they really wanted to end on, which was the idea that owners, in a very real sense, do own these players. You know, not just, you know, there, there was one interview kind of bit, like documentary style interview bit where the guy said, you know, you're never off the clock. You're never off the clock. That's what was, was the hardest thing for me to learn is that even if I'm not in the building, even if I'm not in a team meeting, even if I'm not in the locker room or on the court, I'm still working. Um, and I still have to watch, you know, who I'm with, what I say, you know, how I act. Um, and I don't know to what extent, you know, I follow a couple basketball players, Steph Curry and some of the folks that I've interviewed and stuff. I've, I follow them on Instagram and see some personal stuff. You know, there's pictures of them with their kids and stuff like that. Um, I'm curious to what extent, like, you know, that how 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 legit all that is. It feels like it is, you know, um, that down to what they say and do on social media is all kind of, not necessarily approved beforehand, but it has consequences with their quote-unquote, you know, team owners. Um, and that's interesting. That's something that I don't think is paid attention to a lot, you know?
0: I think another aspect of that that they try to nod towards in the movie is also this sort of distinction between the sort of the star players who I think feel more of the pressure, but also like have, you know, a lot more money, a, back, a, backup a, a bigger microphone. Yeah. yeah, versus like if you're even a high profile rookie which is what the the movie is focusing on um you don't have that experience you don't have that star power you don't have the the money saved up and 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 yet you have to deal with a lot of the same pressures
1: yeah yeah i thought that was an interesting bit too cuz like i i think you kind of think of they also painted i think what is a very realistic picture of a rookie um which is probably true in any sport to be honest of you know, we think that you get signed to the NBA and oh, now you have ten million dollars, or you know, you get picked up. It, the same thing with with aspiring artists, right? You got picked up by a music label. Okay, well now you're a billionaire. And like, I don't think it is as binary as that. I think it's very much you know, some of these rookies. You look at his apartment, and yeah, it was in a nice building, and there was a doorman, but it wasn't his New York apartment. This rookie kid wasn't like. You know, I've been in apartments that nice before. I have friends with apartments that nice. I don't. Mine's a piece of shit. But, like, you, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like I wasn't blown away by his pad, you know? And in fact, speak of the devil, we once went to I won't even name him because it's probably not a nice thing to do, but we okay. went to a, an NBA player's. He wasn't a starter. Um, for work. We went to an NBA player's house and did an interview with him. He wasn't a starter on his team, but he was a, he was a good player. He was like the, the, you know, sixth or seventh man off the bench. And his apartment didn't really impress me either. So like, and that could be like his own budgeting choices, right? Like he could probably maybe afford something nicer, but I don't know, just, I'm getting way too in the weeds on a point that is just that we, it's not, it's not as binary as going from you know not having money to having a shit ton of money it's It's a little bit more complicated than that, and it shed a little bit of light on how many people these players have to pay out just to just to be able to do it you know
0: yeah, and I think that that spoke to, that it was what was in one of the things I thought was the most interesting and part of what you're getting at is this that it's both specifically about the situation of these players and sometimes the details about, and and I I enjoyed like, again, they didn't really, you know, explain a lot of stuff outright, but they sort of talked about it in a way where over time you kind of picked up on it and, and this stuff about, you know, predatory lenders approaching rookie players and stuff like that was like all really interesting. Um, but also I think that the, the movie was trying to make this broader point too of this, uh, or not even a point, but just to like draw parallels and say that, um, you know that like you were saying like there's it's not just about basketball players it's about this sort of class of people who are you know successful and high profile and famous but are still in a lot of ways being exploited um and and you know yeah that that that, i think that's that's essentially what the movie's about
1: yeah it's like but like we've seen that that kind of story has played out a bunch of times i think especially like in mainstream media you talk about uh like what about like there are a bunch of those Britney Spears stories, right? How like she was exploited by her manager and like drugged, and it was part of why she had you know the meltdown that she did was that she was being exploited by all the people who were supposed to protect her, or like Lindsay Lohan, and you know we see these things happen. Um, but I think this one was more interesting in that it pulled it it did pull race into the into the conversation, and it made it a much more felt um what's the word I'm trying to use like it 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 was much more powerful telling of that story like for some reason it's really hard for me even knowing that she went through horrible things it's harder for me to feel a whole lot of empathy for people like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan whereas like I do feel a lot more empathy for some of these pro athletes now um based on this movie you know yeah
0: um, I, th- I think one other thing I just wanted to touch on really quickly before we wrap up is also, um, I just think that Andre, H- I mean, the cast in general is kind of amazing. And there's definitely some people where like, it feels like they show up for one scene and you're like, uh, huh, weird. I don't, <laughs> That's awesome that you're in this movie. I'm not really sure why, but that's cool. Like yeah, Zachary Carol, Quinto and,
1: Zachary uh, Quinto. Um, yeah.
0: And the
1: guy Tom. who plays, um, McCullough.
0: Um uh, call who well, is... what, the
1: the guy who plays the um the NBA guy and he is in Sex in the City. I know he's in a bunch of other things that oh, people oh, care Tom about Buckley. a lot yeah, yeah, Sex and the City, Peaks. but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, Twin Peaks and like Dune and stuff, but I know him from Sex in the City. Um <laughs> and I was like, Holy shit, it's you, you know? And of course you're playing a dick. You always do. But um yeah. I, I loved I loved the cast. I thought it was so well cast, actually. Yeah. Through and through. Like, every single character, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and Daisy Beats, who's amazing in
0: everything. Um, but particularly Does Andre she play Holland. the mom?
1: Oh, Z- no, she's the assistant. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was great. Who played the mom? I thought the mom of the NBA player was really great, too. Yeah. And the guy who owned the gym. That was an interesting piece of it, too. That it wasn't just about the NBA owner's kind of having ownership over these players or exploiting these players. It was also about the difference between um, like the players that come from the hood and the players that come from, you know, uh, like a higher socioeconomic status or whatever, as well as their competition with one another. And, you know, um, I don't know. I thought that mom was so interesting. I liked her a lot. She was in control of everything, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And that whole speech she gives, which is about like, oh, I'm not one of those moms who like exploits her son. And the son is just like paying for all this nice stuff for his mama. And then like, you're like, ah, oh, it, it, and then you're kind of like, is, are you not? Is that,
1: I'm really not. Okay. Yeah, There's like some interesting you are.
0: questions. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, Totally. <laughs> I liked it. I liked the movie. It's not a two, it's not a watch twice movie in my opinion, but it's definitely worth a single watch, especially like if you're kind of in a mellow, thoughtful mood, you know, it's not going to like crave the adventurous itch or the sci-fi itch or even the, the sports itch, but it'll, it, it will definitely satisfy like, a, if you want to just be.
2: No, it's a great, it's a great movie and it's a great movie. especially, especially I think in the context of uh, the Colin Kaepernick decision that just came down. Uh, and the settlement and everything that's been going on around him and, and sort of uh, the, the rights and abilities of players to speak out. There is another discussion that this is sort of triggering on too, which is the, um, the injury that happened to this uh, phenomenal Duke freshman whose shoe exploded while he was in the middle of playing a game. It was supposed to be like the biggest game of the year that wasn't um, a matchup for... It was a Duke-UNC game, right? And at the very start of the game, he is trying to make a play and his shoe explodes and he injures himself. And he was going to be an NBA first round pick, probably the top of the draft, if um, he's not injured. And apparently he's not, which is great, but it just shows that there, there are these sort of steps to become a professional athlete in America that seem unfair to the players and we're the only people that reap the benefits in of the system.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely glad I saw it. I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying it's a great movie, but I definitely think it's a good movie. Um, I think as I was sort of alluding to earlier, I, I did have a little bit of a feeling that it was trying to like touch on so many different things that I didn't necessarily feel like it could do all of them justice or, or be completely dramatically satisfying, but I'm really glad I saw it. I'm really glad uh, Netflix released it because I also think and, and again Soderbergh has sort of said this this is not necessarily a movie that would have gotten a big release from a traditional studio um, so I'm also just yeah everyone should to definitely go check it out if you, if you haven't already uh, are there any final thoughts? I'm good. <laughs> Sounds good well as always I will remind our listeners that if they enjoy this podcast you can subscribe or leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app John and Jordan, have a great weekend and thank you very much.
1: Thank you guys.